Good morning. Welcome to Okotoks Calvary Fellowship. Thank you for joining us as we study through God's Word. Okay. I do love how you so enjoy fellowshipping with one another. It warms my heart. But get back in here now. It's time for <laughs> it's time for the message. Well, if you'll turn with me in your Bibles to the book of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel chapter uh, 2. And this morning we're going to be picking up in the middle of this chapter. And so instead of just kind of doing a review beforehand, uh, we're just going to fill in some of the back details as we go along. So let's jump right in here with both feet, beginning at verse 22. 1 Samuel chapter 2, beginning at verse 22. It says, Now Eli was very old, and he heard everything his sons did to all Israel, and how they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. Now we've already learned a little bit about this man, Eli, so far. He was the high priest of Israel at the time. He was the leading religious official in the whole nation. He led them in sacrifice. He represented the nation on the Day of Atonement. And even though he was this leading man in all of Israel when it came to spiritual things, his own sons, Hophni and Phinehas, were ungodly and extremely corrupt. And last week we saw how these wicked sons had been putting themselves before the Lord, ripping off the people who were offering their sacrifices at the tabernacle and they were causing the people to despise making offering to the Lord. And God was not pleased with that to say the very least. But now here in verse 22 we see yet another thing that they were doing. So look at that again. It says, they lay with the women who assembled at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. In other words, they committed sexual immorality with the women who came to the tabernacle. These women who would come to worship the Lord, and then these sons of Eli would take advantage of them. And this really exposes the hearts of these men, doesn't it? They were only looking for what kind of material things they could steal from the people or what kind of physical pleasure that they could extort from them. And their, their sin was well known to all the people. And it was also well known to their father Eli. And so you'd think that somebody who was seeing this would step up and confront these men, wouldn't you? And if no one else was willing to do that, at least the father would be willing to step in. In fact, Eli really had a dual responsibility to act here, didn't he? He had the parental responsibility to them as a father, but he also had the responsibility as the spiritual leader of the, the entire nation of Israel. What did Eli do? Did he take action? Nope. He'd lecture them. He probably yelled at them. 
He chastised them verbally, but without any consequences. It was like that old adage, you know, stop, or I'll say stop again. Verse 23, so he said to them, why do you do such things? For I hear of your evil dealings from all the people. And this is really a lame question, inviting an equally lame response from them. Instead of asking this question, what he should have been saying was, stop now. Quit ripping off these people. Stop taking advantage of the worship, you know, the worshipers that are coming here. No more. Enough is enough. But instead of taking that definitive action, he's asking them a question and saying, can you explain yourself? <laughs> Verse 24, No, my sons, for it is an, it's not a good report that I hear. You make the Lord's people transgress or sin. If one man sins against another, God will judge him. But if a man sins against the Lord, who will intercede for him? And do you see the picture that Eli's painting here? He's saying, it's bad enough that you're sinning against men. But you're also sinning against God. Look, if, you, if I sin against you or you sin against me, we can always patch things up between us. But if you sin against God, who's going to be able to come in to patch that up? Now we need to remember that at this time, Eli didn't live with the blessing of that New Testament understanding. He didn't know the fullness of the work of the Messiah on their behalf. He didn't know that Jesus would come to be our advocate with God the Father. And I do want to say, just as a, a, an addition here, it's important for us to understand that just because we do have an advocate doesn't mean that it frees us up to sin as we please. Because my lawyer is going to get me off. <laughs> but friends, praise God that there is someone for us you know, to intercede for us when we sin against the Lord. And you may be here right now or watching in uh, online this morning, and you may feel that you're like the worst sinner around. And you may have secrets that are in your heart that you'd be mortified if they came to light. And you may feel so guilty and burdened by the weight of that sin, but I'm here to tell you, friends, it doesn't matter how great a sinner you are. Because you have an even greater Savior in Jesus Christ. I should be getting a very resounding amen to that. And even though Eli should have known there was someone who could intercede, he still poses this question to his son nonetheless. Well, look at the middle of verse 25. It says, Nevertheless, they did not heed the voice of their father, because the Lord desired to kill them. Wow, that's kind of heavy, isn't it? The Lord desired to kill them. What is that all about? And you might be tempted here to think that this is kind of unjust. I mean, like, 
If somebody wants to repent, they want to get right with God, but then the Lord won't let them? Because the Lord wants to judge them. The Lord wants to kill them. But friends, that's not what's happening here. This is not the situation here at all. Let me be clear. The reason they wouldn't repent was because they didn't want to. I mean, think about it. What would God have had to do to Eli's sons to make sure that they would never repent? That they would never turn away from their sins? That they would never heed their father's voice? What would God have had to do? Nothing. Not a thing. Other than let them continue to go on their way. Because if God just allowed them to do the wicked intent that was in their hearts, they wouldn't do anything differently. And they most certainly would not have repented before the Lord. And friends, it's very important for us to realize that repentance is a gift from God. And when He is working in our hearts in that repentant way, we need to humbly receive that gift and then make the most of it. So really what God is saying here is I'm just going to leave Eli's sons alone. Leave them to their own devices. And that just means that they'd continue on that road to destruction and judgment. Look, friends, you've got to understand, God had extended his hand of mercy towards Eli's sons for a very long time. He had tried to warn them, but they didn't want to listen. And even though I believe that Eli could and should have handled things substantially better, <laughs> Eli's sons had been given every opportunity to repent and to change their hearts. Well, as we come to verse 26, I just love the contrast that we see here. Look at it with me. And the child Samuel grew in stature and in favor both with the Lord and men. That's quite a contrast, isn't it? Well, first of all, he's getting taller. <laughs> he's not that sweet, cute little boy anymore. He's growing up and he's becoming a young man. But he's also growing in favor with the Lord and with men, meaning he's growing in his walk with God. And being faithful to him. But he's also loved by the people. And that is just an incredible contrast to the sons of Eli. Who are despised by the people. So we can see that God sees the corrupt sons of Eli. And we can also see that God is raising up Samuel to replace him. And now we're going to see how God is going to deal with with the house of Eli. Let's look at it in verse 27. There, Then a man of God came to Eli and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Did I not clearly reveal myself to the house of your father when they were in Egypt in Pharaoh's house? Did I not choose him out of all the tribes in Israel uh, to be my priest, to offer up my altar, to burn incense, to wear an ephod before me? 
And did I not give to the house of your father all the offerings of the children of Israel made by fire? Why do you kick at my sacrifice and my offering which I have commanded in my dwelling place? And honor your sons more than me to make yourselves fat with the best of all the offerings of Israel, my people. You can just picture the scene here. The man of God comes and he knocks on Eli's door. Now, the first thing I think of, you know, that's kind of remarkable here is that this man didn't come to the door of Eli's sons. After all, they were the ones that were doing this horrific evil in the sight of the Lord. But it tells us that they come to the door of Eli. Why? Because God held Eli responsible both as a father and as a spiritual supervisor to his sons who were priests underneath him. My friends, it's very, very important for us to see that God held Eli responsible. And verse 29 tells us clearly why. Because you honor your sons more than me. Parents, when we are too indulgent with our children, when we allow them to go on their own course, when we won't raise them in the fear, nurture, and admonition of the Lord, then we too are honoring our children more than we are honoring the Lord. Friends, do not make your children into an idol because your children do not belong to you. They belong to God. And God has lent them to you to raise in a godly way. Don't raise them to be good children. Raise them to be good adults. Raise them to follow after God. Raise them to be able to serve Him on their own. And raise them to have a heart that honors Him. Well, the rebuke continues on here in verse 30. It says, Therefore the Lord God of Israel says, I said indeed that your house and the house of your father would walk before me forever, but now the Lord says, Far be it from me, for those who honor me I will honor. And those who despise me shall be lightly esteemed. And what he's saying here is, is look at, do you want to be honored by God? Do you want to be lifted up by Him? Then you honor Him. Do you want God to be against you? Then you be against Him. Do you want to be lightly esteemed by God? Then despise Him. Verse 31, Behold, the days are coming that I will cut off your arm and the arm of your father's house so that there will not be an old man in your house. And the arm was a picture of strength and power in ancient Hebrew thinking. And so what he's saying here, he says, I'm going to take away your strength. I'm going to take away your might. Verse 32 goes on, and you will see an enemy in my dwelling place despite all the good which God does for Israel. 
And there shall not be an old man in your house forever. But any of your men whom I do not cut off from my altar shall consume your eyes and grieve your heart and all the descendants of your house shall die in the flower of their age. What he's saying here is God's going to bring judgment down on your house. God is going to take away your priestly place in Israel. God is going to curse your household with weakness. But friends, I really want you to notice here that the announcement of judgment against Eli was also implicitly an invitation to repentance. Because that's just how God works. Whenever he announces his judgment, it is always an invitation for us to repent first. And we have a prime example of that in the book of Jonah. And we all know the backstory of Jonah and the great fish. But when Jonah finally made it to Nineveh, what did he do? He preached God's judgment. He goes, 30 days until God's judgment falls. But he never gave them an explicit invitation to repent, did he? But the people understood it. And that entire city repented with sackcloth and ashes. And because they repented so strongly, God relented in his judgment. And so God is giving Eli the opportunity here to repent. God is giving his sons the opportunity to repent, but they did not. Verse 34, now this shall be a sign to you that will come upon your two sons on Hophni and Phinehas in one day. They shall die, both of them. Then I will raise up for myself a faithful priest who will, shall do according to what is in my heart and in my mind. I will build him a sure house and he shall walk before my anointed forever and it shall come to pass that everyone who is left in your house will come and bow down to him for a piece of silver and a morsel of bread and say, please put me in one of the priestly positions that I may eat a piece of bread. He's saying, Eli, your house is going to be reduced to begging. You've been ripping off God's people. You've been lining your pockets with stolen goods. You've been raising yourself up in an ungodly way. And God's going to bring you down to that lowest place. But do you notice the other thing that he says there? I'm going to replace you with a faithful priest. Now who was this faithful priest? Well, I think that in one sense, this was Samuel. Samuel who grew up godly. Samuel who's going to replace these ungodly sons of Eli. So in one sense, it is referring to Samuel. And you could call that kind of a near fulfillment. However, it wasn't only referring to Samuel. 
Because many years later, in fact, many decades later, the prophecy of judgment was fulfilled where God took the family line of Eli out of the priesthood and God then replaced it with the family line of a man named Zadok in the days of Solomon. And you could call that the far fulfillment because it came at a much later date. But my friends, this really teaches us something important here. And if you're writing it down, you want to write this down. Judgment delayed is not judgment avoided. Judgment delayed is not judgment avoided. Just because you think you've gotten away with something. Just because the judgment wasn't immediate doesn't mean that it's not coming. Numbers 32 verse 23 tells us, Be sure your sin will find you out. And it will. God's judgment may be held off for a while, but it is going to come. And the judgment that was prophesied here for Eli's house, it didn't happen in a year. It didn't happen in 10 years. It happened some 50, 60, 70 years down the road. But it happened nonetheless, just as it was prophesied. And we're going to see how that fu- that's fulfilled in the coming weeks. But in contrast to all of that, now we have this godly boy named Samuel as we move into 1 Cham- Samuel chapter 3. Verse 1 tells us, Now the boy Samuel ministered to the Lord before Eli, and the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no widespread revelation. Well, as corrupt as these sons of Eli were, that's how godly Samuel was. And we really don't know for sure exactly how old Samuel was at this point. The ancient Jewish Historian Josephus suggests that he was around 12 years of age. Regardless, there he is doing whatever he can for Eli the high high priest. Verse 2 says, And it came to pass at that time, while Eli was lying down in his place, and when his eyes had begun to grow so dim that he could not see, and before the lamp of God went out in the tabernacle of the Lord, where the ark of God was, And while Samuel was lying down, the Lord called Samuel and he answered, Here I am. This really is a precious scene, isn't it? And for some of you, it probably harkens back memories to your Sunday school days. But Eli, he's getting old. His eyesight's failing him. It's time for him to go to bed. So Eli goes to his room and Samuel goes to his room. And they both fall asleep for the night. But sometime before the lamps of God would be put out, and that means it was early dawn, and that would be somewhere around 3, 4, maybe 5 o'clock in the morning. So it's still dark outside, and in the midst of this slumber, Samuel hears someone calling his name. And at this point in time, Samuel didn't know that it was God calling him. But look at his response. He says, here I am. Isn't that a beautiful way to respond to the call of God? Here I am. But this really brings up 
an issue, doesn't it? How do we know when God is speaking to you? And in this instance, it seems as though God is speaking to Samuel in an audible voice. Now, friends, it is very unusual to hear of God speaking audibly to somebody today. In fact, when someone goes around saying that they're hearing voices or that God spoke to them, then we're probably going to take him in for a checkup, right? And we get kind of suspicious when someone says, well, God told me this or God told me that, right? Now, don't get me wrong. God does speak to us. But let me be very clear here. It is very rare that God speaks to us in an audible voice. Very rare. But most of the time when we talk about God speaking to us, we're talking about God speaking to us in what we would call that inner voice, the impressions and the thoughts of the heart. And we believe that some of those impressions, some of those thoughts are from God. And yes, they could be that. But we also need to remember that God is not the only source of your thoughts and your impressions, right? Sometimes those thoughts and impressions just come from us. And sometimes those thoughts and impressions may even come from Satan himself. You know that can happen, right? Let me give you a prime example of this from Matthew chapter 16. You may remember the passage. Jesus is with his disciples and he asks them that amazing question, who do men say that I am? Remember that? Of course, the disciples are batting around a number of different responses that people are thinking and Jesus makes it personal. He says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter, man, this is his shining moment. He steps up and he says, You are the Messiah. You're the Christ. You are the Son of the living God. And Jesus turns to Peter, and I can just picture that grin coming across his face. He says, Peter, no flesh and blood person has revealed that to you. That came to you from God the Father in heaven. So God himself placed that word into Peter's heart and mind. This thought or impression or revelation was given to him, an epiphany of sorts. And Jesus rightly points out to him where it came from. It came from God the Father. And in that moment, you could just imagine Peter thinking, God spoke to me. And Jesus, I just want to thank you for pointing that out to me in front of all my fellow disciples here. I hear from God. And then Jesus just pours out his blessing upon him. But what happened? A blink of an eye later. Peter goes from hearing God to hearing from Satan. In the blink of an eye. 
As Jesus is describing what awaits him in Jerusalem, his arrest, the cross, the beatings, the resurrection. Peter has the audacity to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. To tell him that, look at, none of this is going to happen to you, Jesus. Not on my watch. And Jesus then turns to Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. One moment he is speaking for God, the next moment he's speaking for Satan. And much in the same fashion as he received that thought and impression from God, he also received a thought and an impression from Satan a moment later. That's the battle we war against. We don't war against flesh and blood, but angels and principalities and powers. And so friends, with this kind of uncertainty and hearing from the Lord, how can we really know and what should we do? Well, I want to give you three important points when it comes to hearing from God. And the first one is always know what the certain word is. And what is that certain word? It's right here. It's God's word. It's the Bible. And you never have to doubt that God has spoken to you in this book. And if you think that God has spoken to you, then measure it up against his certain word. Because friends, if you want, if you're hearing, if what you're hearing does not line up with what you see in this book, if any part of it is in contradiction to this book, then it's safe to say that God hasn't spoken to you at all. Second of all, always approach any possible word with humility. When we talk about God speaking to us, we need to understand something. God may be speaking to us perfectly from heaven. But God hasn't given us the gift of always hearing him perfectly. And many times, just like in a normal conversation, someone may say something to us and it plants an idea or memory or thought in our minds and, and we don't hear that complete thought that they're communicating to us because we're already adding things to it or interpreting what they're saying, you know, and, and we're... Um, we might even be thinking of what our response is going to be to what they're saying. Friends, there are many ways we can misunderstand God speaking to us. So what I'm saying here is be humble about it. I don't think we need to be going around all the time, well, God told me this and God told me that. You know, what I think is a much healthier way to address it. Say something like, I think the Lord is showing me. Or I sense the Lord is saying. Then you're open for others to be able to speak to what you have heard. 
And you can now look into God's word and compare it with what his word has said on that particular thought. Because then you are allowing God to confirm it. Because if he told you it, he will confirm it. Through his word and through other godly people. And finally, the third thing is always approach any possible word with your feet firmly on the ground. You know, some people get caught up in the trap of the sensational. And then they begin to think that they're somehow less spiritual because the Lord doesn't speak to them very much. Look, I totally get it. I would love to experience the dramatic. I would love to hear something spectacular like God speaking to Moses through the burning bush, wouldn't you? Or God speaking from heaven as the dove descended on Jesus. This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. And it's easy for us to get caught up in that sensational. But friends, do you want to hear from God? I mean, do you really want to hear from God? Then all you've got to do is pick up this book. You need to dig in to that sure and certain Word of God. Now you can stand here waiting for that booming Hollywood voice to come pouring out from heaven. Or you can listen to the 100% concrete, sure Word of God and listen for His still, small voice speaking directly to your heart. Don't wait for the sensational. God works in us supernaturally, naturally. Friends, when you hear that word, that still small voice, you should respond to it, just like Samuel did here. And what did he say? He said, here I am. Well, our time's slipping away here. We need to move on. Verse 5 says, so he ran to Eli and said, here I am, for you called me. And he said, I did not call. Lie down again. And he went and lay down, and then the Lord called yet again, Samuel. So Samuel arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you called me. He answered, I did not call my son. Lie down again. Now, you know, I have my own theory about this, and I'm pretty sure it's not inspired. However, in my crazy mind, it's kind of like the Lord was having a little bit of fun with all of this. I mean, let's see how many times we can get Samuel to get up and respond before he catches on. Well, verse 7 says, Now Samuel did not know the Lord, nor was the word of the Lord yet revealed to him. And the Lord called Samuel again the third time. So he arose and went to Eli and said, Here I am, for you did call me. Then Eli perceived that the Lord had called the boy. Well, finally, Eli figures it out. And look what he tells Samuel in verse 9. Therefore Eli said to Samuel, Go lie down, and it shall be. If he calls you that you must say, speak, Lord, for your servant here. So Samuel went and lay down in his place. And you can just imagine what was racing through the mind of young Samuel now. 
And again, I just can't help but think that the Lord is having a little bit of fun with this as he watches Samuel squirm and toss and turn just with that anticipation, almost like a kid before Christmas, awaiting for that voice to return. And finally, verse 10 comes. Now the Lord came and stood and called as at other times. Now, personally, I believe that the Lord came in the person of Jesus Christ. I think this was more than just an inner voice. I think this was actually both audibly and visibly speaking to Samuel. He was calling Samuel, Samuel. And Samuel answered, Speak, Lord, for your servant hears. Isn't that such a beautiful way to respond to the word of God? Speak, Lord. You know, my friends, we hear a lot of voices in our lives. This preacher may speak to you. Your parents may speak to you. Your friends may speak to you. Your teachers, your boss, people on the radio or television or online may speak to you. But the only one that really matters is that God would speak to you. We need to train our hearts and our minds through the power of His sure and certain Word. My friends, a teachable and submissive heart before God is one of the most precious things that you can ever have. And if you're not in that place this morning, I urge you to let the Lord convict your heart right now. Let Him break your heart before Him. And come to him and simply say, Lord, I want to hear you speak to me. I want to listen to what you have to say to me. I don't want to harden my heart against your word. I, don't, I want to have that soft and pliable heart, that heart of a child. The one that Samuel had here. Speak, Lord, for your servant so let's pray right now and ask the Lord to give us those teachable hearts. Father, I'm so thankful that you do still speak to us today. Lord, that you have left us your certain, sure word as our blueprint for life. Everything that we need for life everything that we need for godliness is found in your sure and certain word. And Lord, we have a world that's looking for answers and they're right here. Right here in your word. But yet us as believers, how often do we really dig into that sure and certain word ourselves? Lord, you're calling us back to your word. You're calling us to that personal relationship with you where you want to speak to our hearts. So Lord, I pray right now that you'll be speaking to, to hearts right now. Lord, that we will receive that word from you this morning.
and it will respond like Samuel did. Speak, Lord. We're listening. And Lord, not just listening, but willing to do what you've called us to do. We thank you for your word, Lord. Bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening. If you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please feel free to message us on our Facebook page or on Instagram. God bless.